Hello, hello, everyone. E hola, hola. Welcome to the Pediatric Speech Sister Show. I'm your sis, Melanie White Evans. I'm a bilingual pediatric speech language pathologist and cultural compatibility consultant here to learn with you and discuss more ways we can uplift culturally diverse communities in our professions in day-to-day lives. This podcast is for you if you're ready to address the disparities in the United States healthcare and academic systems and are looking for more ways you can be culturally competent in your careers. Tune in weekly as I introduce mind-shifting topics that will support service-based professionals and students alike on our cultural competency journeys. Let's get into today's episode. Well, hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to the Pediatric Speech Sister Show. I'm so happy to have here Kayla Diaz. I'll let her give an introduction of herself, but she is a sociolinguist who specializes in childhood and family bilingualism. She is the director of Bilinguidos, an educational platform and online community for parents raising bilingual kids. She's also the host of the Bilingual Parenting Podcast, which I'm sure that we'll hear a bit about in this episode. The reason why I had Kayla here today is because it is actually National Bilingual Learner Advocacy Month. I'm not sure if that is broadcast enough, but I'm very happy that that's even a thing here. So I am promoting an upcoming book called Five Ways to Support Black and Latino Children in Clinical and Academic Settings. And so in light of this, we can learn so much from you. This channel is mostly for speech pathologists, but all service providers need to hear this because we did a lot with bilingual kids. And to be honest, we don't really know how to completely support their parents. Uh, So very happy to have you on. So I'll go ahead and let you introduce yourself and anything that I might've missed in this introduction. Sure. Thank you so much, Melanie. Yeah. So I'm Kayla Diaz. Melanie kind of gave my my basic rundown. I have been working in this field since 2018 professionally. Even before that, I've been working with a lot of bilingual learners in different types of classroom settings here in the States and abroad. Uh, And also I grew up bilingual in the United States in a monolingual home, but my mom was like very adamant about me growing up bilingual. So it has been part of my journey since I was like 10 months old, (laughs) a little baby. And so kind of have the professional side of things since it is what my master's degree is in. I have the life experience of being raised bilingual. And then in addition to that, I am now raising my own bilinguita, my own little bilingual. (laughs) She's three almost three and a half. And so, yeah, I'm three and a half years into the journey as now a bilingual parent. Uh, So that's kind of my rundown of who I am. Should I introduce like what Bilinguitos is at this point? Yes, yes. let us know what Bilinguitos is. And then I do have another question just about your own parenting journey, but we'll get to that. Okay, awesome. And yeah, every tons of people pronounce it as Bilinguitos, right? If you're thinking in terms of bilingual as the word in English, that makes sense. Then in Spanish, bilingüe means bilingual, and then bilingüitos is little bilinguals, which is, you know, the population that I work with primarily is the little guys. Um, Bilingüitos started in 2016, so I guess, yeah, I said 2018, but that's when I graduated with my master's degree. But even prior to that, I had started bilingüitos as an in-person preschool program for kids to learn Spanish or to maintain their Spanish that they already knew from home. So that started as an in-person thing. 
And then in 2020, when our whole world shut down, I started doing a lot of the things that we were doing in person. I started doing online virtual classes and programs. And then it extended to being able to also be for the parents. So I was doing kid classes, but then I've also been able to work one-on-one with parents. And that's been a really cool extension that it, because now that I have like, I can reach, I can talk with anybody. Like right now we're Zooming and with parents I can Zoom. And so it, it was actually a kind of a cool transition when COVID happened to not just be in my own little local area, but to be able to work with a lot of families all over the country and all over the world. So that's kind of Beeling Wikos in a nutshell. Yeah. Well, we are so happy that this even exists. I'm not sure I have a lot of other programs that do this. Uh, I've talked to some speech pathologists who are choosing to raise their children bilingual as monolingual people. So I'm sure that there are some challenges, but also a lot of rewards that come with it. Can you tell us a little bit from your personal experiences and even like with your own parents that's uh, with raising someone who's bilingual? Yeah. And that it is kind of it's fun because the way I'm raising my daughter to be bilingual is different how I was raised because my husband is from Mexico. So he speaks Spanish to each other. And then with our daughter, it just was naturally flowing that we would speak Spanish to her. So our kind of bilingual parenting style is Spanish all the time, which looks very different from how I was raised because like I said, monolingual home, neither of my parents are fluent in Spanish. My mom really loves Spanish and has always spoken it but you know through school and study abroad and so at home she wasn't like able to do full Spanish all the time so for my parents as non-native speakers non-fluent speakers of Spanish it looked a lot different than what I'm doing now with my daughter and it looked a lot like taking advantage like of the library and story times and different resources that were available at that time which were way fewer than there are now At least now there's so much more out there for parents who are like, well, I don't speak the language. Can I still raise my child to learn it? And the answer is yes. And much easier now than, you know, 30 years ago. Right. And that's so cool that you created an additional resource for parents who are wanting to raise their kids bilingual. And then the fact that you're able to do it through Zoom. I remember, I'm not sure when this was, it was maybe earlier this year. Um, And maybe this was just the first time I found out about it, but you had a bilingual play date. Yes. Yes. We do. um, It started here in my local area of like bringing bilingual families together so that kids can play with other bilingual kids. And even if they play more in English, which is typically what happens, they can at least see that, hey, I'm not the only one who speaks Spanish at home. I'm not like weird because I speak two different languages. They see, oh, oh, that child's also talking to his mom in Spanish. And oh, that little girl is calling her dad papi also. Like it just it shows them, okay, I'm not alone. And it shows them the language in a wider context. So yeah, we have a playgroup here in my area, which is outside of Washington, DC. And it's grown a lot. We have 34 different US cities that now have these regular playgroups that meet once a month. So it's been really cool. Well, first of all, congratulations. I'm sure you look back often and just like, wow, I started this in grad school. I had no idea it would grow. But that's just a sign of how needed it is. And the work that you're doing is very impactful. So thank you for that. Can you tell us about your decision specifically to raise bilingual children? I know that you were raised bilingual, but was there anything within you to make that decision personally? Yes, definitely. So 
there's multiple facets to it. Um, I think the biggest reason for my husband and I was the fact that he is originally from Mexico, native Spanish speaker. He was born and raised in Mexico. He wasn't moved here till he was like early 20s. Okay, well. So for him, that's like a huge part of his identity. Speaking Spanish and then his culture from back home. And so when we had kids, like it wasn't even a question. We definitely wanted to make sure that that would be passed on. Right now we just have the one, but we wanted to make sure that would be passed on to her so that one, she could speak her dad's most, you know, his heart language, because he's bilingual too. So he could speak English. We could be doing all of this in English, uh, but I feel like that she would lose out on a little bit of an element of getting to know him fully by not speaking his native language. So for us, we're like, no, if we can give her Spanish, we're definitely going to do it um, because that's important. I mean, that's why he and I choose to speak in Spanish too, because it's his heart language again. So um, for me, I grew up with both. I can go in between both. Sometimes in moments of like excitement or if we're ever in an argument, sometimes English will come out (laughs) for me. Because again, that's, that's my dominant language. That's my heart language. But as a family, our kind of collective heart language is Spanish. That was one big reason. Uh, second reason would be that his mom only speaks Spanish. So if, okay. she, if our daughter was not to learn Spanish, then she would miss out on that relationship with her grandma. Uh, so that was huge, right? Like it's almost like a non-negotiable in that sense. But then even beyond that, so those are kind of the biggest reasons, heritage and familial reasons. But Beyond that, I just, for me, I, I love being bilingual. I feel like it's so cool. And like, you get double the movies, double the jokes, double the music you can listen to, double the memes. Yeah, the memes are hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> and, so, and so if I have that as part of my identity and my upbringing, why would I not want to pass it on to my daughter? So just like passing on one of my favorite things about me, it just kind of, it was a natural decision to do for her. I really like how you call it heart language, uh, especially in reference to your husband who migrated here from Mexico. So he moved here as a 20 year old. So it's obviously his culture means a lot to him, but to, yeah. in a real different way than if he were born and raised here, but it's like, this is my actual home. And of course, mm-hmm. Abuela, Abuelita also speaks Spanish. So if mm-hmm. we want her to be able to connect with them and with the family, it's necessary. Uh, Can you tell me, you've already told us a bit about the perks of raising bilingual children. Can you tell us a little bit about the challenges? Yes, yes. I think a lot of times families go into bilingual parenting thinking, oh, like, it's a breeze. I'm bilingual, so my kids will be. But we either either learn the language really young and we forgot how much of like a, 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 not a struggle, but like a big undertaking it is to become bilingual. Or we were bilingual because of necessity. Like our bilingualism might have been born out of a need to learn a second language. I mean, that typically is what it is, where you have to learn the language, so you do. And so it sometimes as parents, we think, oh, it's an automatic process. I'm bilingual. I don't even remember working toward it. I just became bilingual. But for us now raising kids in English majority context, where a lot of times adults, even if you are bilingual, even if your native language isn't English, but you've lived most of your life in the United States, English kind of takes over. Mm -hmm. So for a lot of us as parents, we are choosing to raise bilingual kids in a language that is no longer our dominant language, or in my case, it it never was my dominant language. Spanish was never my dominant native language. And so that's when kind of the obstacles come in where we're like, oh, like one, we're up against a lot of English in our kids' world, Mm -hmm. right? Think about a five-year-old who's going to kindergarten. 
even if they only speak Spanish at home, as soon as they get on the bus, English. They get walk through the front doors of school, English. Um, all of the classes, they get out of school, they go to soccer practice, English. They go play with their friends. There's <laughs> just a lot of English. Um, so that's a huge obstacle in the fact that a lot of us, let's say we're raising a child to speak Spanish, but it's not our dominant language. So you can see how it's not an easy undertaking. And so there are definitely obstacles. So those are the two big obstacles are just the fact that sometimes it's hard for the parent to stay in the target language. Let's say they say, I want to only use Spanish with my child. But then they're like, oh, but how do you say opossum and badger, right? <laughs> We're playing with forest animals and you're like, wait, I don't even remember. So it, it can be hard on the parent just to maintain that language pattern with your child. And then on the other side, all of the incoming English input is a lot to, you know, try to balance. So those are kind of the biggest two obstacles, I would say. When you yeah. say that, I think about uh, one specific parent and she, Spanish is her dominant language. She migrated here. Of course, her children are in English schools. This is when I was in Texas. Mm -hmm. And so one of her biggest concerns, her child had a language delay, but it was a very slight delay, actually. Really, I was ready to dismiss her anyway. But her <laughs> biggest concerns when we showed up to the IEP meeting was the fact that her child wasn't speaking Spanish at home. Mm -hmm. So first we went from her child not speaking at all, which is why she was on the caseload. And then now mm -hmm. it's that she actually feels more comfortable speaking English than she did speaking Spanish. But I can tell that that was a big deal for the mom because the mom didn't speak a lot of English or even yeah. understand it. <laughs> so... Um, what could you say in that case, like for speech pathologists, especially how, what could we do to move forward in that way, as far as just yeah. comfort and counseling to the parent? That's, that's the huge question. And that's a really good question to be asking. Uh, so the first thing would be for the parent to know that just because their child has now switched their preference over to English, doesn't mean that the parent at home should switch over to English as well. Especially in the case, like you said, where it's not the parent's dominant language, it might not even be a language that they're fluent in, they shouldn't feel pressured to be like, okay, well, clearly my daughter now prefers this language, maybe I should switch over as well. Because for a parent who's not super comfortable speaking in English, that's going to just, that's almost going to be like a burden or it'll weigh on them where I'm like, where they'll think, oh, I want to tell my daughter this and that and this and that, but I don't know how to fully say it. So it might even be a communicative obstacle for the parents, but it also would then contribute to the child maintaining their home language even less so the first thing would be just like i know yes we know the daughter is starting to speak more english at home don't feel like you have to also do that like keep up with your spanish with your daughter um, and, in, and in meaningful and in meaningful interactions and what's kind of parental language we think about it's kind of like the comforting language or reading a story with your child or or telling a story from childhood so Keeping the Spanish, we'll say, Spanish alive in very, like, meaningful and bonding moments at home. In, in addition to all of the other stuff we have to do as parents, like telling them, okay, it's time to eat dinner and stuff like that. Um, but that would be the first, the biggest piece of advice. Don't leave your home language aside just because the child prefers. Pretty much any child in the United States, once they reach school age, switches their language preference over to English or the dominant language, whatever country you're in, whatever the dominant majority language is. So that's kind of inevitable. But what parents can do is to keep up their input at home and continue to link that home language to 
positive memories, those bonding memories, tucking in your child at, at bedtime. And there's a lot of kind of connection happening there or, you know, moments they get like that. So I think that would be my, my advice first and foremost. But then the, the idea of child or children not speaking, that's like a whole thing in and of itself, but it happens. It happens so often. But the biggest thing is just to continue input, continue input. Don't forsake the home language input and continue to give your child the vocabulary that they're that it might be missing right if a child goes to right. school completely naked right and it's like we'll talk with my hands so much no that's uh, right though we all do we all do <laughs> doing all these like if they are in school let's say they're going to school six hours a day they're getting so many things vocabulary wise that they've never had to talk about at home right so They've never had to talk about how the lunch lady gave them such and such at the cafeteria. Those words, they don't have it in their home language. So the parent can just, as the child's coming home with a lot of new vocabulary, a lot of new English, basically give the child that vocab that they have a gap in. Oh, the lunch lady. Oh, la señora en la cafeteria. Um, right, and kind of feed them those words that they might not have as the child grows because the kids, you know, at five, they're just starting, but then it's just going to continue to grow all of this new English experiences that they're having. The parent can just as much as they're able to just meet them where they're at and continue to give them the home language. I like how yeah. you, I really do like how you put that. Cause I'm, I'm thinking just from a, a speech pathology lens of all of this. And so I think like yeah. as for us as service providers and even parents who might be watching this after the fact, like you said, just feeding them the language and language building, because they're going to keep growing, they're going to keep growing, they're going to keep growing. But right. what can parents do and what can we do as speech pathologists to, like you said, meet them in the middle, middle meet them where they're at? I think that's important. And also I'm thinking about how it could make everything more inclusive, just letting the parents know just how you thought about how they don't have to forfeit their own language because they already have a lot of pressure being in this country, speaking a language that they're not comfortable speaking. I think that gives the parents a lot of grace. So thank you so much for saying that. Yeah. Yeah. And one thing that you just said made me think of with the parents that I've heard who have kids in speech therapy, I know that it's been really helpful for those who are, let's say, doing Spanish at home, but the therapy is being given in English for the parents to see the different kind of techniques and methods and exercises that the child is doing in speech therapy and be able to kind of replicate it or to their very best do similar things at home in the home language so that they're seeing oh interesting so maybe we can draw out the words a little bit more or make sure we're showing a visual while saying the words and if they can kind of have those techniques in mind that can be helpful too for the parents that are I do have a bilingual child that does have a speech delay or language delay to kind of kind of work together with their SLP for the same mission. Well, that that brings up, up another question. So I've come across parents who are only Spanish speaking, like dominant language to a T. They're still learning English themselves, just mm -hmm. like how the other way around, it would be English learning Spanish. Uh, mm -hmm. Of course, it's very important for them that their children integrate it into the society. So what are just some words of encouragement that you would give those parents who find it important that their child learns English, uh, but they might not be as comfortable with the English language themselves. Where do you, so like they're maybe nervous that their child doesn't have a lot of English skills going into 
school or is that what you mean or no I think I'm thinking about I worked at a bilingual clinic and so I'm thinking about one specific parent who Spanish was her dominant language she really didn't speak English that much but she still found it important and necessary to teach her child English at the same time I can tell she was uncomfortable she was a bit nervous about it yes so even if it's not the language that the parent is dominant in, there are so many different things they can tap into. But, you know, like books or screen time in in the right way can be good for language input. But also parents should know that they don't have to speak perfect language to teach it or to support their child on that bilingual journey. Um, non-native Spanish speaker, I grew up with Spanish, that's so not quite the same, but I work with a lot of families that the parent is a non-native speaker of the language, and they're still able to be a huge part of that bilingual journey for their child, even if they're not the own source of the language. It's kind of nice, I think, for kids to see they, that an adult in their life is willing to use a language even if they're not fully fluent in it, because it shows that, hey, like it doesn't have to be perfect. Even us as adults, we're still on a language learning journey. So I think that's important to keep in mind. So for in that case with that with that mom, she can still encourage her daughter and be like really involved in the process of her daughter developing and learning English, bringing in resources as needed. But also in the case of English in the United States, it's almost a given where eventually that's going to be the language that the child is dominant in because it's the language of their peers and it's their language of schooling. So they don't have to be too worried about will my child learn English or not. Um, I think. Yeah, and I think that the other goal would be for them to grow together. I'm just, I'm thinking, just kind of putting myself in that mom's shoes. Maybe if if they grow there, she, I think that that's something that she would want. I do appreciate that perspective that you gave, Kayla, that just kind of taking that pressure off the parent. Like, look, you don't have to be the only one teaching them the language. Thankfully, we are in an English dominant country. If that's the language that you want to teach, we are in an English dominant country. So she's going to get that at school. She's going to get that in the book. She's going to get that at the library, you know, so it does take that pressure. And I think that that might be why she was a little nervous because she, maybe she's like, well, here I am. I'm just relying on myself. And then I take her to speech therapy for 30 minutes one time a week. Well, I think parents also, when the kids are younger, are more nervous about that. Like, oh, but they're English. We only speak Spanish at home. Like, how's their English going to be when they're younger? And then as soon as the child's in school, I'm depends on the child, depends on personality, how quickly they are to kind of put them into social, put themselves into social situations. But within, let's say, several months to a year of the first year, the child adapts really quickly to the new language and it it's so much more quickly and not seamlessly because language learning is effortful, even if it's kind of subconsciously effortful, like it's a process. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to say it's completely seamless and ignore the fact that no, there's going to be little obstacles here and there. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, the acquisition of English happens quicker than the parent might think. And so we're worried at like two, let's say, oh, but he only knows Spanish. When we go to the playground, he doesn't know how to talk to their kids. First of all, a two-year-old toddler isn't really doing that much of social interaction. And by four or five, that child's English is going to be so much further along than the parent would have expected, you know, seeing them at it as a two-year-old. So mm-hmm. the growth is pretty 
not automatically, but it happens. Like it happens. It really does. Yes. I, I noticed that a lot of times a light bulb just goes off and then all of a sudden the child is fluent. So just thinking about children with language delays who go from not speaking at all to all of a sudden telling full story. So yeah, I bet that's amazing to see too. Like you get to see it one-on-one and see it develop. It, it's really what makes the field and the work that we do rewarding. That's also why I love working with kids is because you get that progression a lot quicker. And I think that's why most of us, when we are working with kids, like to work with kids. Um, kids are just so fun and funny. They they say, like, the best and my inner child gets to come out and play with them. And, you know, we get to fun. play with blocks and, you know, it, it's fun. And it's like you said, just a process. Language learning is a process. So I'm still even learning English. <laughs> there are still words in English. Well, exactly. We all are still learning our native language. Like it's just a, it's a lifelong process. We're learning new vocabulary. We pick up a book and we're like, huh, I hadn't seen that word before. And so we're never done. We never completely hundred percent master any language, not even our own native language. Cause it's always we're always learning, always good. I normally ask this question at the beginning of interviews. What is your why? What got you into the work that you're doing now? Yeah, that's a great question. So with my upbringing of being bilingual, I think it was always kind of in the back of my head that I really did like languages. I've always liked how languages work. I took um, ancient Greek and Latin when I was in high school. Wow. <laughs> so, like, language nerd to the max, that's you know, awesome. the little charts the little verb charts and the noun declensions. And I mean, that's because those aren't spoken languages. They're ancient languages. You're really looking at language just for the sake of like patterns and how language works. Cause there's no need to walk up to somebody and like speak Latin to them. Yeah, so yeah, <laughs> that always had me very um, interested in kind of how languages work. So, but what's interesting is if you look at my why, it was kind of like this meandering road to get to where I am right now because I originally applied for undergrad as graphic design. I still do it as a hobby, but 0% of my field is graphic design. Then once I actually got to school, I switched to elementary education or early childhood education because I knew that I liked working with kids. But then after taking all of these different like ed classes, I'm like, I don't want to teach history and this and that. And, you know, like teachers have to teach all the subjects. I'm like, no, I'm not good at this. What I really did realize that stood out is I like teaching, but specifically language. So at that point is when I switched to linguistics and was really looking at language and language education. And then for my my master's degree, after I graduated with linguistics, but focused on language education, I started looking more at kids developing two languages at the same time. So even before the language education, even before classroom settings, how do bilingual kids acquire language? How do they develop both at the same time? What are the different ways that families can foster that? And that's where I really kind of found my sweet spot um, because of growing up bilingual, but because also knowing that I was going to raise my my kids, my future kids bilingual. So that's kind of my, my why. It was like all these different little roads to get there, um, but really it is a passion for language and kids and being able to combine those two into one field well now I have to ask why not speech pathology I honestly I had no idea that it even not that it didn't exist it was just not even on my radar when I was looking at okay linguistics you would think that it would have come up and like hey why not but it didn't and then I was talking to a friend who's also an SLP and we were saying okay if you had to go back and choose a different career what would you have chosen 
I forget what she said because she's like I said she's an SLP but I was like I honestly probably would have done something with still speech and language but maybe SLP because it would be a similar route kids and language but I was not even on my radar whatsoever when I started so that's too bad now now the sociolinguist community gets to have you and we don't <laughs> yeah. well I don't want to keep you on here forever because I know you are on the east coast so the sun's gonna start going down real soon <laughs> I have to ask, uh, what change would you like to see in service provider industries, especially as it relates to bilingualism and working with bilingual kids and families? Yeah, that's such a good question. I think that bilingualism as a whole is m very misunderstood. I think so for people who are then working with a bilingual population, it's not necessarily clear for them, no matter what the profession is exactly how to work with a bilingual child or student or patient because it is bilingualism can be misunderstood or for example like the huge myth of oh raising or children being exposed to two or more languages are going to get confused or develop a speech or language delay because of the bilingualism right like this huge big bad myth that exists which we can just squash not please <laughs> exactly does not cause speech and language delay um, but that's born out a born out of an, a misunderstanding of how bilingualism works. Here in the United States, there's so many languages. There's almost a quarter of U.S. families that report to speaking a non-English language at home. So almost a quarter. Yeah. So for any profession, one in four of their patients or students or whatever is going to have a language on, other than English. So I think it's really important to understand a little bit more of how bilingualism works, a bilingual brain. How does it work? how that development happens, because it's relevant pretty much to any, any person. We're always going to encounter other languages just because the U.S. is very multilingual in terms of our population. So, Yes, and I would also add just the fact that we do have so many different cultures within America, but also to give children other opportunities to travel and explore different cultures outside our own, I think is important. I think we need a new generation that's a bit more open to doing exactly. that. Yeah. Yeah. Than the generations yeah. we got to grow up around. No shade, but I'm just saying. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Kayla, for coming on. Is there anything else that you would like to share with the audience before we go? I'm always available. If anybody was like, oh, this sparked an idea. I am very active on Instagram. So if anyone has any questions, I'll be there. Well, I think you do have a top 10 strategies of bilingual parenting. How can people access that? Yeah, I have a freebie. It's like a 10 page, if not more PDF. And each page has a different way to raise bilingual kids. And it has pros and cons of each strategy. Um, so yes, thanks for pointing that out. That is on my Instagram and in the bio link, but I can also give you the the link to have available for anybody who wants it. And that's also good. So I know, like you said, a lot of people who tune in are service providers. So it'd be good for them to look over, but even more just to pass on to parents that they work with. So I'll make sure you get that also. Thank you so much, Kayla. Please, I will add that to the show notes. Uh, I would love to have you on the show again. There's so much that we can definitely learn from you. It's kind of ironic as it is a sad reality that as speech pathologists, speech language pathologists, we could be a lot more educated in bilingual parenting, especially Spanish speaking people. So thank you again. I hope to have you back. Yeah, thank you so much. This is really fun. Well, thank you everyone who came.
Well, family, that's the episode. What did you think? Wherever you're listening, I'd appreciate if you left a review. Your feedback means a lot to me and helps me find more ways to help you on your journeys. If you're looking for more ways to expand your cultural compatibility in your clinical practices, follow me on Instagram at Pediatric Speech Sister and check out my newsletter for more show updates. I'll include all these links in the show notes. Until then, I'll see you next week.